hey, I wanted to tell you about an event this Saturday that I'm really excited about. Out at the Calibird Pollinator Sanctuary from 3 to 7 on Saturday, there will be music, poetry, animals, conversations, joy, laughter, and plant-based vendors for the event called, funny enough, Easy to Remember. Besides just being a rad event, speakers that day include past guests of the show and San Francisco Poet Laureate Tongo Eisen Martin. Other performers include One Way Possible and DJ Space Rock. The event is a fundraiser for Dragon Spunk Grow and the 280 Project, one a past guest of the show, and one the feature of this episode. Again, that's this Saturday from 3 p.m. to 7 at 1820 Palau. Info is up at our link tree. All right, on with the show. We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. Hello, and welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. This is part two of our episode on Alamany Farm. We're joined once again by Christopher Renfro. Christopher will talk first about the 280 Project, which is an apprenticeship for BIPOC, LGBTQIA, and marginalized folks for learning whatever it is they want to know about grapes and wine. From there, we go on a walking tour of Alamany Farm, stopping along the way to chat about what's coming out of the ground on this special 3.5-acre plot of land on the south side of Bernal Hill. Here's Christopher. Yeah, so 280 Project... Uh is a viticultural apprenticeship um, but slash like wine school type of situation where I am partnered with a winemaker named Steve Mathiason up in Napa Valley and uh, uh, Professor Beth Forestrell at UC Davis and then Rita Manzana is my project uh, manager, uh, Jenea Chirik, my partner, um, she's co-founder and yeah we basically have created a program where we bring uh, BIPOC, queer, trans people, uh, non-binary folks, people who feel marginalized in general, women um, who want to learn either viticultural skills, wine business, wine making, and yeah, I think All while things paying wine. them, yeah, and paying them, but oh, also awesome. like kind of just beverages in general and fermentation, like mm. that's, like Rita and I are very interested in sake, mm. uh, beer, you know, and I think that it's there are minorities that are like in none of these spaces really right you know like beer is just uh opening up to like the black and brown community same as whiskey and like you know spirits and things like that so there's a huge market for beverages because we all have to like actually drink <laughs> yeah something like and i mean it doesn't have to be alcohol right but you think about it same way as food mm -hmm. like food is a huge industry to be in because everyone has to eat so knowing viticulture is uh it's cool like you can learn how to grow table grapes you can learn how to grow wine grapes nice. but if you don't want to make wine you can just sell your wine grapes you know you but, said the business yeah yeah exactly the business side there's so that. but there's also licensing there's all kinds of different parts of it there's uh like everything from labels like everything you know what i mean the glass how much it costs like so that's mm -hmm. you know someone being good at the money part of it mm -hmm. you know like 
these are all yeah part of the business you know but yeah it's interesting it's um it's been really cool building this thing from the ground up literally mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like you know it's been funny <laughs> from the underground up yeah yeah like from the uh, roots yeah the way that steve and i kind of got in contact was like i was selling steve's wine when i worked in the restaurant industry and got to actually meet him at an event where him and a woman named Mimi Castile were talking about like regenerative agriculture okay. and, and wine in general and how how it's better to farm organically and take care of the earth, you know? Yeah. So when it came time for us to have this space and be able to utilize it, I realized that Steve was someone that I needed to like reach out to to ask for help and like guidance and how to grow grapes well Mm -hmm. since he I consider him like definitely one of the best farmers that I've ever met you know Um, especially like from like uh, you know science background part but also like holistically Mm -hmm. I think he's just tuned in and uh, he's also like a person that cares about other people which I think that's what all farmers are kind of the people motive versus the profit i think i think farming for the people is like cool you know and i think the wines he puts out are uh speak to that also you know they're Mm -hmm. not like these heavily big extracted just get you wasted wines instead they're like more of uh make you feel like happy because they taste great and right you know they were made well and you know that people get paid well who work for him and Mm -hmm. he cares about the entire process and industry and the earth and it's good juju yeah yeah so yeah and then you know um yes i i got to meet him i got to meet mimi they helped me kind of in the very beginning like over instagram dms and stuff and uh live video not live but like video chats would show me how to do certain stuff oh nice yeah and then beth and i steve all got together and we're like okay let's let's make this into something because i really thought about it at first of just being like a few vineyards that we would go visit and then get some knowledge from them and then that would be cool but yeah talking with steve and beth it opened the doors to being able to go visit way more vineyards, uh, being able to make wine at UC Davis, being able to oh, like nice. see the student vineyards at UC Davis, which are very important because they hold a major like portion of indigenous vines oh, wow. and vines just from all over the world. So yeah, yeah very, very cool Amazing. stuff. And it's things that you don't have access to unless you go down that path of farming. So they've allowed people to see that glimpse Mm -hmm. where I feel like that's really all it takes sometimes to inspire people to like go to school or go back to school you know like if you were able to go like visit a design school and play with toys and build something you'd probably be like all right I'll put my money into this yeah you know what I mean field trips yeah exactly so that's what 280 is is like active field trips it's more of the the on hand like doing the real work stuff so pruning going in doing leaf thinning like learning the whole viticultural process but same thing getting to go in and learn about winemaking learn about how the business is done like all like really right in front of you whereas like i feel like you know working in the wine industry can be confusing on how to get where you're trying to go that can be a lot of profit motive yeah yeah and it's also it's also like every it's weird it's like either who you know or paying your dues, Mm -hmm. which I don't like either of those things, Mm -hmm. you know. I think that 
it's such a crazy it reminds me of working uh, when I first moved here I worked in like a tattoo studio okay and one of the things there is you have to put in your time very hierarchical yeah by yeah. like by like um, sweeping the floor mm -hmm. like or doing whatever and like you know like taking like appointments down and then eventually you finally get to draw mm -hmm. and then eventually you can like apprentice and then it's like dude just let me let me have a pencil and paper and yeah. and see and i don't know let, let me, me let me grow <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. we used to call that shit work yeah yeah that, that, it's, it's still an still, expression it's still that so i feel <laughs> like the wine industry is like um set up that way set up that way a lot yeah. so i don't know trying to change that from within and being able to even if we have the smallest space to do it in like using like all of our friends together you know we're like kind of being able to actually change yeah and do something a little bit different that is making a huge impact and um what we're working on is creating an abroad program from it too you know oh, wow. so we can like actually knowledge share with other people and be able to actually give people the experience of going over and learning from other people as well and like vice versa. in other countries you yeah, mean, yeah, or, yeah yeah oh okay rad yeah amazing yeah. yeah so i mean i feel like it's super beneficial to go to france to learn from French winemakers, from, yeah. you know, like Argentinian winemakers, mm -hmm. you know, like going to Mexico, mm -hmm. going to like Thailand, going to Japan, like all these places have different harvests throughout the, the year. Right. So it's totally feasible. It's just, um, yeah, it takes planning and time and money. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully what we're doing is creating like farmers. Right. And that's, that's what I would like to do. Yeah. And how can people get involved or, or learn more about it? Uh, 280, yeah, 280 Project on Instagram and then 280project.com. And yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready for a walkthrough? Sure. Next, Christopher leads us through the raised plots, vegetable rows, orchard, and vines of Alamany Farm, starting with the farm's outdoor kitchen. Let's see, where should we start? So this is the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the next Feed the People, I got to figure that out. Haley is uh, in Thailand right now, and then she's going out to Hawaii for one of our friend's uh, weddings. Um, but it usually happens the first Sunday of the month. Yeah, so, and we uh, start around 8.30 in the morning, and lunch is ready by 11.30 noon. And, yeah, so this, this is amazing because most public parks, when you think about it, don't have this setup, and it's very similar to what I was saying about that food up there as well. Imagine if you had this on every major public park system with a portion of it having food grown also to feed the community. Like, I mean, as long as people, I don't think people would be fighting to come and use the outdoor kitchens, you know? Right. I mean, people may utilize it every now and then, but what it would allow is like for people to do good things in their communities and also be able to like teach cooking and be able to, uh, you know, facilitate free lunches, you know, so you don't have to get involved in politics. There's running water, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, these are grills. And then there's, oh, marble top, yeah, yeah. So this was designed by CCA, which was the school that I came all the way out here to like try and go to school at. And um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like a, one of those full circle moments again. CCA is in culinary or no CCA California, California College, College of the Arts. Arts. Okay. Yeah, yeah, design school. Okay. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. It's a 
just a simple idea when you think about it, like, but it's amazing that it's right next to this neighborhood that is like low income, but the ability to be able to take food from there, cook it right here, and then take it into that neighborhood is very important, you know? I think that giving people farm fresh food is, it's like our right, you know what I mean? Like uh, everything that's being sold, processed in corner stores and um, what is fed to color, communities of color, it's kind of like criminal when you think about it. It's like if you poison. could, it's poison if you think about it. You could actually be giving them food that grows completely out of the earth. All it takes is sun and water. And, you know, the earth does the other parts with like mycelium and, you know, like uh, nutrients and minerals and things like that. Like we really don't have to in interfere. It's, it's scary to think that preservatives and certain things for flavors are thrown in to get people addicted but so can this stuff, you know what I mean? Like a ripe strawberry is insane, or a really good blackberry is like mind blowing. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't, and I think this, yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really scary. Well, and this community is literally far away from any access to groceries. Like it's all the way on Cortland, which is very far, but it's also in a neighborhood, like I said, that's changing very quickly, very affluent, not friendly. The only other location is down the freeway to Bayshore where there's a liquor stores and then Jack in the Box and then uh, Foods Co or something like that, you know? Right. So I don't know, it's, it's weird when we really think about it. It's like, why is this by design? Again, this is by design. Very, very yeah, yeah, so, but I think it's also by design that the people in this community don't feel accustomed to eating here or know how. I think if you really wanted to destroy a community, you take away their food knowledge. It, it's everything to do with mental health. You know, it's everything to do with your uh, self-esteem. Like when you can talk about fancy food, you can talk about anything. You really can. Yeah. Like it's it's weird. It's like fancy foods are like this privilege that make people, but it's literally just food. Yeah. You have uh, strawberries over here. You have uh, sweet potatoes behind us, potatoes. What else? You have peas growing, mizuna, radishes, kale, dandelion greens. Yeah, and this is all just grown in boxes, you know? So you think about if you could just cultivate the earth a little bit. Like this is so much food. Yeah, this place grows tons and tons and tons of food every year. And this is just one 3.5 acre parcel in the city. So something like Golden Gate Park, imagine if they used six acres of it for food. It was you, again, at the library. I think you're the first person I ever heard talk about that idea of, it's not the whole park we're talking about. It's just, that park is enormous. And... Imagine if we, just reimagining that space, those spaces, right? Yeah, so there's a woman named Amber Tam up in New York, and that's who I first heard talking about something like this. And she was saying um, there was a part of Central Park that used to be a black community called Seneca Village, and they actually covered it and, like, destroyed this neighborhood, buried it, kind of. And she was saying, well, give us back that land so we can actually build a farm there. So that's where she was saying it. And then, like, as I started thinking about it more, it's like, 
this should just be something in cities that have park systems. Like you should make food parks. Like that makes more, more sense to actually just feed people and hire farmers with city money that then basically take care of the people. It's a, it's a job just like a police officer or a firefighter, but you're actually protecting people by giving them, you know. Community value. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's funny. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that, but it is, it's like a, it's a good city job. Like you're actually taking care of your community. And, and again, being better stewards of the land. Like if we're gonna designate this land to be this, it's a park, or this part of the land to be for living, how to rethink all those spaces. Yeah. Yeah, my goal is to build a seed bank here in the city, like a black indigenous seed bank um, that has the ability, wherever it's housed, has the ability to capture stories from people about their food ways and food history. Um, yeah, I'm hoping it would be somewhere like at the Museum of African Diaspora or uh, this Southeast Community Center in the Bayview that was just built. But if we could have a seed bank like that where people could come, bring seeds, drop them off, but we could also supply them to the community so they have foods that resonate with their history and tell a story, you know what I mean? Like seed packets that tell a story about things or, you know what I mean, a recipe. So, and yeah, if people had a place to record their food history and like record recipes, imagine if that can go back into the black and brown communities. But also it starts to mean that you'd see a difference in our food representation in the city also, you know? So like, I think about it all the time that as a farmer, I go find seeds from grocery stores of those cultures to find cheap seeds. So like all the spices and different beans and different stuff like that, those are all plantable. But if you were to buy them from a seed company, you spend way, way, way much more money. So yeah, I don't know. I started thinking about it a long time ago, like, oh, these crazy corns, these weird peppers, these things, you know what I mean? Like dry the seeds out of a pepper that came from that store or whatever, and then you can like grow it. So it's weird, but you don't see the representation of African food like that. I don't see any Caribbean or like Afro like grocery store. So the seed bank to me is like the closest thing to start something like that to where you then could like grow this stuff in the city, in the Bayview where it's hot enough or Oakland, you know, trade back and forth seeds and be able to, um, yeah, I imagine just like Asian foods and Latin foods have been like appreciated. I don't want to say appropriated. Brought into popular culture. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know what I mean? I imagine if we started seeing black foods that people could like add to their menu at say some nice restaurant in the mission. You know, like, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it would just start changing people's minds because I think a way to like end hate also is for people to appreciate another culture's foods. And I think that's what's cool is you see all of that kind of stuff with like Latin and Asian food. And because of it, you know, sometimes it's slow, but like people definitely feel like they're like, oh, this is cool. Like, well, and also becoming more familiar. Exactly. Right. Exposing exactly. yourself to something. Well, you realize that people are human. Right. You know, I like to eat. You like to eat. I like the stuff you cook. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> Tell me about that. What is it? You know? Like, yeah, exactly. It creates a story it. and it's like, well, what, it, what herb is that? What flavor is that? Right on. So, Chris, who makes these signs out here? I believe it's a 
bunch of different people. Um, the colorful ones in the medicine garden, I'm pretty sure Bonnie Rose Weaver made those. Um, this sign that we're looking at right now that says respect the earth, take what you need and give back. Um, that was by an awesome farm apprentice intern, Ingrid, who has since uh, moved back to uh, L.A., but I'm sure she's taken uh, all of the knowledge she's learned here and is going to go use it down there to like help folks and uh, grow food in East Los Angeles, which is awesome. Yeah, this place is definitely about spreading knowledge and spreading love. And what about the trilingual? The trilingual, that is, uh, that's like Alamany Farm, uh, Abby, and the other farm like managers. They, they stay on top of what's being grown in the rows as far as, uh, yeah, like crop rotation, stuff like that. So they change the signs as, as needed. Yeah, oysters are literally one of my favorite things in the world. There are, yeah, all my family is from Louisiana, so um, definitely crawfish, oysters, yeah, seafood, shrimp, Those all of it, shrimp. and sweet, just incredible. Yeah, the food is wild, but like, yeah, oysters to me are just so, so interesting, and like, people don't like take the time to like actually pay attention to how special they are for the ecosystem too. Um, do you know who Omar Tate is? Uh, yeah, Omar Tate is a black chef, uh, chef up in Philadelphia, but he does a lot of really interesting things with uh, oysters. Yeah, they uh, the last um, the high on the high on the hog episode too with uh, who is it? yeah Stephen Satterfield. He's been on this podcast, oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was really cool to see like the whole history on the oysters and like uh, like black people making money off of it and being involved in that industry way 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 back so it's kind of crazy it's like my family has land in louisiana and it sits on like a bayou and i really want to go out there and check it out um to see if there are there's definitely shrimp and crab and stuff in there and i wonder if they're like oysters back there at all can you tell folks about yacon i'm not familiar also yeah yacon is this uh really awesome uh tuber starch from uh, I believe the Andes and it kind of is like a potato but slash apple so it's really sweet similar to jicama but more juicy um, yeah like tubers so it has different parts all under the soil and then it has like a big stock up top and a giant flower thank you so now we're in the orchard where do y'all call this the orchard I'm seeing a lot of trees are these, yeah, yeah. these fruit are, trees these are fruit trees over here so you have a lot of plums right here. You have, um, yeah, different plums, pluots. You have on this side more like cherry trees. And then you have uh, Asian pears. And then you get to the vines. And that's where the vines are right here. Okay. And we're a little bit past the fruit tree season, right? Like, yeah. is that late summer kind of? Yeah, it's, it's uh, like early, late summer. And depending on what it is, you know, like the limes and stuff are coming in now. Citrus, you can see citrus everywhere. Um, low quats are in the summer. Uh, what else? The fajoas are actually coming in right now, which is a uh, pineapple guava. Those are coming in. Um, but people are picking them too soon because they don't know that you have to let them fall on the ground and then that's when they're ready. I know firsthand that lime, that it's lime season because I have a little lime tree in my backyard that is putting out its first fruit ever. Yeah, nice limes. Do you want to talk about the vines a little bit more or now that we're here? Yeah, so this is uh, 
the vineyard and up front you have 65 pinot vines within that you have a uh, rogers red wild uh, vine you have this vitis papyria and in the very front i feel like this is one of the most special vines it is a, a concord grape so yeah that's a concord and the goal with that is to be able to actually have table grapes so the youth can come by and come get a, a sweet treat, you know? So the person that had this before, I guess she didn't like the youth coming through here and eating the fruit or messing with anything. And I want to completely change that. I want to make it to where the kids want to be in here and they want to see grapes. And they, I wanted to make it like a living grape museum. You know, that's the whole idea, like a library where they can walk through, see the different grapes, learn about different ones. We have some other varieties in the back planted. Um, what else do we have? We have Beba, we have like Claret, Teraldigo, um, Gamay. And then on the hillside, we have a bunch of hybrids growing up there. Um, Grenache Blanc, all kinds of stuff. But yeah, the goal is just like that seed bank, um, showing, showing like uh, history and heritage and stuff like that and just variety, diversity, you know? So if I could, I would love to get a piece of land to be able to start propagating and planting all types of different, Vitis vinifera, Riparia, all the different grape species to have it open to the public, similar to the um, conservatory of flowers, but it would be like a conservatory of vines, you know? Yeah, something like that, you know? And I think there are similar, but if I could get access to uh, UC Davis's collection and be able to take some of that and start building it out and get vines from all over the world and build this huge, imagine how cool that would be for people to see and be like, whoa, look at how different that leaf is. Look how wild that fruit is. Look at that, 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 you know? Yeah. I, Sizes, colors, mm -hmm. it's like flavors, the, everything. The spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we're heading into the greenhouse. Yeah, yeah, so I just wanted to show you guys. This is where I keep collections of vines and cuttings and try and, yeah, just propagate stuff that I find all over. Um, but yeah, pretty special hybrids that I keep in here and things that people send me from different spots around the country, different places. Uh, there's some pretty cool heritage stuff in here that uh, I got from Brene Royal, who is a farm manager at uh, Monteroso. And um, yeah, she gave me some Simeon that might be like the oldest in the world. Um, what else? Some Syrah, probably the oldest Zinfandel in California. So pretty special stuff. The, this stuff right here that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, shit. Yeah, yeah. So they're cuttings, different cuttings. Right. Um, but yeah, I keep putting stuff up on the hillside, so yeah, it's pretty awesome. Thanks for listening to our episodes about Alamany Farm. Next week on the podcast, we venture to the outer sunset, almost to the Pacific Ocean, to learn all about Other Avenue's grocery co-op. Please join us next Tuesday for episode five. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt.
Now in our fifth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show. And drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, weird, and healthy. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.